Welcome to Breaking Free Authentically, the podcast where we explore what redefining relationships looks like through a sex-positive lens. Let's kick shame and guilt to the curb and really start living a sexy, authentic life. I'm passionate about normalizing out-of-the-box ways of designing relationships. There's nothing quite like finding your tribe and experiencing the freedom of being completely yourself without judgment. I'm your host, Kareen Bedard, your sex-positive relationship designer, and I'm here to guide you in creating the relationship you desire, whether that is a more open one or simply a more empowered one. Join me every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to enjoy the newest episode. Well, welcome back to Breaking Free Authentically. This is episode 72, and today I have a very exciting guest. Her name is, we're going to go with Ariel today, and we're just going to protect her anonymity a little bit, but I'm so thankful that she is here with us. Because her story is going to be something that I know a lot of you relate to. If you followed my story, you know that I was Bible school graduate, turned Playboy enthusiast, highly fundamentalist Christian, evangelical Christian. And coming from that world, there is a lot of beliefs about your sexuality and about morality and all these things that really affect your ability to make shifts in your life when you kind of leave that situation. So my guest today is going to share her journey about being a JW, otherwise known as a Jehovah's Witness. And as much as I didn't think that that was similar before, it very much is similar. And we have a lot of the same same upbringing, even though it was so very different. So I hope that you really enjoy this conversation today and get a lot out of it and reach out if you have any questions. But when we come back, we're going to get right into this conversation and I think you're going to find it well worth your time. So we'll see you in a minute. Please visit our website at www.breakingfreeauthentically.com. And subscribe to our mailing list so you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave a review on Podchaser by clicking the link at the top of the page. That would mean the world to me. Finally, I'd love for you to join Breaking Free Authentically, our private sex-positive relationship community on Facebook. All the links will be posted in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Do you feel like you've been sold a fairy tale when it comes to sex and love? Why isn't it working? Why am I not fulfilled or satisfied? Why do I have a deep longing for more? Maybe you've had some of these thoughts. Did you know it's not your fault? That's right. You've been brainwashed since childhood with disempowering beliefs about sex and relationships. This is known as the mono mindset. If you're tired of feeling stuck, you're ready for Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program where you will learn how the mono mindset has set you up for failure in relationships, why you think of sex as wrong or taboo, why you judge yourself. You will finally learn how to have empowered relationships with confidence and success. Many of my clients have said, Kareen, I didn't know I had choices. I thought I needed a partner to feel complete. I thought I was supposed to suppress my desires to have a successful relationship. 
What if you could learn to love yourself and your desires without guilt? Well, you can. With Breaking Free from Conformity, the eight-week program, shifting the subconscious programming that is keeping you stuck. It's not your fault. You weren't given a choice. It's time to break free and start living your life. To register, go to offers.kareenbedard.com forward slash BFFC for breaking free from conformity. I can't wait for you to find ultimate freedom and create an empowered relationship for yourself. Well, welcome back to Breaking Free Authentically. We are in episode 72, and like I said, my guest today is Ariel, and we are going to talk about that transition from a super religious upbringing to an ethically non-monogamous life that is empowering and beautiful. So welcome, Ariel. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yay. Oh, I'm going to pick your brain here. I hope you're ready for this. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I have not heard a lot of your story, but I do remember we were talking one day at um, a party at, um, it doesn't really matter where the party was, but we were talking at this party and you shared with me that you were Jehovah's Witness. And like you had said, you were listening to my podcast and or you were, like, very interested. Were you – I don't think you were listening to my podcast. I think my partner originally said that he had spoken to you about being religious and your <clears throat> your religious upbringing. Right, 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 right. Because you're – yes, we talk a lot about that kind of stuff. Okay, so you were saying, I love the stuff that you talk about. It just resonates for me. And I was like, oh, well, why is that? What's your background? And you were like, oh, I was Jehovah's Witness. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no idea. And I would have never guessed that. So – that was really cool. And we got into a conversation, but then we didn't finish that day because some stuff happened. I think I spilled water or something too. There was a spill. Do you remember that? No, I don't actually. I feel like I spilled a whole... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it just kind of changed the conversation. But I always wanted to get back to it. So here we are. Here like, we are. Hey, Ariel, can you come on as my guest? And would you be willing to share your story? And you were so gracious in being willing to do that. So thank you for being here. Of course. All right. So let's get into it. You grew up in a Jehovah's Witness household. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, were you born into that? Did you guys come into that later? Like, were your parents Jehovah's Witness your whole life? Like, how was that? Yeah. So um, as long as I can remember, actually, my mom had said that since I was two weeks old, I was going to the Kingdom Hall. Mm. Um, so as long as I can remember, I've been a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. It's always been ingrained in me. Like, this is the truth. This is the proper way of believing, of thinking. This is the one true religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up religious, like, <laughs> has a lot of its influence into our ideologies and the way that we perceive things, the way that we perceive sexuality, mm. the way that everything is a sin and shunned and sexuality and sex is kept for marriage. Yeah. Um, so my religious upbringing has definitely shaped me, hasn't defined me now because I've redefined myself. Right, right, right. But it has... So did you find that in your house? Sorry, that's really close. 
So did you find that in your house growing up that you guys just ignored the topic of sexuality or was it talked about and shamed? It wasn't talked about. Okay. Um, gay was not okay. Mm. <laughs> I think I've known since grade three or grade four that I was bisexual. I was okay. having those feelings. I was being attracted to both men and women. Mm. Um, but I always kept that to myself. I never felt comfortable enough to tell anybody in the church, any of my friends, my parents, my sister, nobody, um, how I truly felt. I didn't feel comfortable enough until pretty much now mm. to date a woman. I came out to my friends, I think, three or four years ago that I was bisexual because before I had never felt like putting a label on it, mm -hmm. but also being in uh, monogamous relationships in my early 20s, I didn't feel like people would believe me if mm. I came out as bisexual. Right. Because you were dating a man. Right. Right. Mm. So how do you think that affected your sense of empowerment, your sense of like self-worth growing up? Like once you started having these feelings? It definitely changed the way that I saw myself as an entity. Mm. I think I didn't really see myself being a sexual being. I saw myself as being, for lack of a better term, like a body of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was put on this earth to mm. serve Jehovah right. and to dedicate my entire life to him. And to do everything with him in mind and to do everything I can to get into heaven or to be one of the anointed or mm -hmm. do all of these things to keep me in good graces. Right. And so it was never like me first. It was always yeah. church first. Right. So like I, I've alluded a lot of times to the fact that like as a woman, especially as a woman, my body was not my own. It yeah. was – for my husband. Like I had to save myself for my husband, which meant that any of my sexual desires were wrong. And I was a very sexual person. And so the only way I could like think positively about that was to fantasize about marriage and being married and having sex with my husband eventually, um, and keeping myself pure for that. But you say, you know, like, you are the body of Christ. You're the t temple of the Holy Spirit. You are, like, your mission in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, like, that is really the mentality that we have growing up. And so you just kind of put yourself on the back burner because that's the honorable thing to do. That is the right, quote, unquote, choice. Mm. And did you find that in that mentality, you didn't feel like you could speak up for yourself in other ways as well? Like if, if your sexuality isn't your own, do you have differing opinions from other people? Do you have to keep that to yourself as well? Oh, totally. Like, yeah. I think I suppressed a lot about myself and a lot of my choice because I wasn't offered choice right. growing up. It was always, this is, it was always rigidity. So this is always one way of thinking. You can't question mm -hmm. or defer from this way. It has to be this way. Mm -hmm. And when I started to question, which was around grade three, 
Um, Which was also when my parents started to separate and divorce. Mm. Um, So grade three was a monumental time for me. But when I started to question if Jehovah's Witnesses, if the truth was Mm -hmm. really the truth, Mm -hmm. everything else came out. Like, I started to question religion. I started to question my sexuality. I started to question, oh gosh, what else? (laughs) I started to question myself. Mm -hmm. Like, my choices, if what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, if I really wanted to commit to, like, the church. Because growing up, I'd always thought that I would graduate high school and then go work at Bethel. Mm. Like, Bethel is like our higher kingdom hall. Um, And that's what I wanted to do. And people don't really get married or have children if they work at Bethel. Oh, wow. Because you really dedicate your entire life to Jehovah. Wow. <laughs> and so that was a goal of mine, but around grade three, it started to be like, maybe I want to be an engineer. Maybe I want to be a doctor. Maybe I want to do something for me that betters my life and my my standing in society and make an actual contribution. Instead of being super uber religious, it can be a different profession that works on what my interests are. So did you feel like you sort of started to come to an awareness of like, well, maybe other things can be valid, not just glorifying God. Like, yeah, I mean, you can glorify God in other ways too. Interesting. I, I find it interesting. There's so much of the same language in what you're saying as to my Christian upbringing. So I grew up, whenever I lived in Canada, it was brethren assemblies. Mm-hmm. And so you say Bethel, like the church I went to for years was Bethel Bible or Bethel Gospel Chapel or Bethel Bible Fellowship, like all the the um, brethren assemblies tend to have Bethel in the name, which is so interesting. But we also didn't have a pastor. We had elders as well. well yeah, we had elders too. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I remember talking, I remember like I had just had like my kids or like I had, yeah. And and I, so I, I was a Mary Kay consultant for years. I still am. But anyway, so I did like the parties, right? And so I remember this one lady came over and she was a Jehovah's Witness. And I remember her saying that they had elders and things. I was like, oh, so do we, you know? And we were like on the same page with all this stuff. And I didn't know very much about Jehovah's Witness because as a Christian, like you don't look at other religions because you might get swayed in the wrong direction, right? Because I had the absolute truth. So like you weren't a Christian, you were a cult. Mm -hmm. So anything that's not your... Is wrong. Is wrong. And you can't ask questions. You can't question. You can't think outside the box. And so like the reason why my program is called Breaking from Conformity or Breaking Free from Conformity is because... We were taught that we had to conform. Like that was the only way to righteousness, basically. That was the only way to be worthy. And when you move away from the church, even out in the quote unquote world, (laughs) right? People are still following that same model because society is so informed by 
religion because religion goes way back. Religion was the way that we created meaning in our world. Like we're meaning makers and we try to make sense of the world. And before science, before we could explain so many things, religion was the only way, you know, the gods, even the Greek gods, you know, that was their explanation for things. Um, and so if you're looking at it kind of from a purely reasoning, rational type way, it's like, well, of course we all have these stories and the mythologies and all these like, you know, religious origin stories are similar because we were all trying to solve, solve the same problem, yeah. you know, our existence and our worth and where do we come from? Our and, purpose. Yeah. And how do you explain where the world came from and all these things, right? So I feel like we weren't taught to think for ourselves because hive mentality means everybody sticks together and you can work towards one goal. Mm -hmm. And as soon as someone veers off of that, then, whoa, you know, they might go and do something that's different. They They're might, differing from the norm. Yeah. And so you guys in Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a lot of like disfellowshipping. Yes. Right? And yes. And like sort of shunning or the the sheep – are kicked out of the fold so that Satan can deal with them. Well, it's really so that they see how shitty the world is. Right. Without the support system that they've built. And they're pressured to come back. So I wasn't disfellowshipped because I was never baptized. Mm. I was an unbaptized publisher when I left when I was 16. Um, my sister really paved the way for that because mm. she had left when she was also 16 for a man. Did your – sorry, before you go on, did your parents leave after they divorced or did they stay in the church? So my dad was never a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. He, Interesting. He was Christian-ish. Like, he had a Bible. We would pray sometimes. But he never accepted that. He never came to the Kingdom Hall with us. Mm. It was mostly my mom. My mom okay. was very religious, very into the truth. <laughs> Um, it's very fear-based. Yes. Like, you, I mean, you literally fear being disfellowshipped or, or. Well, because it's shunning. Right. And, and shunning, like, what a shameful way to bring people back into the. It's manipulative. Fold. It's so it's, manipulative. So, I did know some people that were disfellowshipped. Um, and their parents kicked them out of the house. <laughs> Like, they could not have any contact with their blood-related family until they were ready to repent mm -hmm. and rejoin the Kingdom Hall. I was never disfellowshipped. Um, so when my sister and I left, we still continued to live at home. But my mom had multiple conversations with the elders. The mm -hmm. elders had multiple, like, meetings with us individually to try to, like get an understanding of why we felt unsupported by the kingdom hall, why we felt like tempted by the world and worldly things, why it didn't make sense for us anymore. They really wanted to have us go in the hot seat, justify ourselves mm -hmm. of why we felt like this wasn't our community anymore. I think that's so interesting because you, you notice that like, there's no framework. It's like either you hate God or you worship him. Like there's no yeah. room for 
any other version. Just being spiritual. Yeah. That be no, enough. that's like, you know, new age-ish and, you know, yeah. there's room for the devil in that. Um, but, like, I often say, like, in the lifestyle, for instance, or in, in like, for non-monogamy, mm-hmm. like, people in general, they understand monogamy and they understand cheating. But they don't understand ethical non-monogamy, like honest sharing of a spouse or having more more than one partner. There's no framework for that because we are absolutely not taught that in our culture. And so you're either faithful or not faithful. (laughs) It's one of two things. Even if you are absolutely honest, your partner is 100% okay with things, you like came to this conclusion together there's nobody that like people that are in that conformity mindset there's no room for any other way it's like well you're just cheating but it's not cheating but we don't understand any other so it's, we're very like black and white in yeah. our in our culture right you're like <laughs> either this religion or you're not religious yep. or you're either this or you're that you can't be a little bit of something is it because then that's like wishy-washy or you just one don't foot in, one know foot out. yeah like you don't know and um there's always a judgment about that and i think that i think it's about committing like you can't just commit to a religion you have to be you have to try it out or you have to you can't just commit to a relationship. You're one foot in, one foot out. Like, Yeah, there's just this idea that you're only worthy if if you follow the path. Like if you make solid else. choices. Yeah, and, and if a society can just kind of make their own choices and, and be aware and conscious and make decisions for what's right for them and – then you can no longer control a society and you'll have all these people just like living their own lives and you can't prove that they're not happy anymore. Like I remember, so that was like one of the big things, like when I started listening to Playboy Radio, right? As I was deconverting, I was like sort of asking questions and listening to all kinds of things, listening to debates with like theologists and stuff. And I was like, wait a second. It's actually not a very good argument. And I just feel so uncomfortable for the theologist being completely slammed by like reasonable, um, reasonable explanations of things, but they couldn't accept it because that would mean that there was a flaw in their, in their thinking, in their worldview, in their religion, they couldn't accept it. So they had to explain it away. And I got so uncomfortable after a while, after I started to be more open to maybe this isn't the full truth. Maybe this is a man's interpretation of things. Maybe this isn't the whole truth. And it was like so scary to go through that because it's like, what if I'm doubting this one thing that is going to safeguard my eternity mm-hmm. <laughs> like what if i've got it all wrong it's not set up that you can question and then be welcomed back in it's right. like no 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 you are making your choice like you're going to be alone and you are going out there in this world that has no love and no joy no capacity 
for 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 love or joy um but also have no self-respect for themselves and those heathens and all they want is just sex or this or that. And of course the worst people were the sex people, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and at the time Playboy radio was available free. We had serious radio and I was like, okay, well the quickest way for me to find out if what I've been taught is true is just to go to the worst of the worst, like these heathens, these sex people, like I'm just going to go and listen and find out, like, are they truly unhappy? Because that's what I've been taught. Like, they have, they can't love. They're not, they're not happy. Everybody in the world is miserable. We're the only ones who have the truth and the only ones who are happy. So here I am listening to Playboy Radio and I'm like, well, shit, these are my people. <laughs> like, these people are fun and they know who they are and they're full of life and zest for life. They have joy and they love each other more deeply and have more intelligent, vulnerable, authentic conversations than I'd ever had at church. Like at church, I needed to know everything. Yeah. I needed to prove that I was the perfect mother or this or that or had the answers to this or that because that somehow made me more worthy, more holy, more whatever. And what I recognized listening to Playboy was all of a sudden a world where you didn't have to agree with someone. I was like, what? What? They don't have the same opinion and they're like laughing together and joking around and having the best time. Oh, also, um, they're both married to other people. They're sitting naked together, not having sex with each other, not cheating on each other's spouses. They're like literally hosting a show together naked, having a blast, laughing hysterically and and enjoying their guests at such an authentic, deep level. And I was like, what is this witchcraft? Like, what is happening here? How how are their spouses okay with this? And they weren't swingers. They weren't non-monogamous. Like, they were just sex positive, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they weren't. And then I discovered a show called Swing with Michael and Holly. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No. And I was like, oh, married people are having sex with other married people? Like, what? Yeah. And I was like, but isn't sex the glue that holds a marriage together? Like, it's only allowed in marriage. It's the only, that's the only thing. And even, like, in my denomination and the brethren, like, if you got divorced, you actually weren't supposed to you weren't allowed to get remarried. There was some really? that were more lenient, more, you know, it was getting a little bit more, but like legit, the verses were, were quoted that if you got divorced, you were now unclean. You, you couldn't mm-hmm. just get remarried. So like you have to think long and hard, even if you're abused in a relationship, right. And you leave for abuse, like you're still like sealing your fate of being alone forever because you've shared you sex with someone else and they're still alive. And the only way that that, that contract could be broken was through death. So you touched on two things. One, you touched on the idea of modesty, which we definitely need to get into mm-hmm. because that has been very present and prevalent for me. Um, but then you also touched on divorce. Um, so I want to talk about that first. Absolutely. Because my parents got divorced mm. and it was not okay. Right. Even though my dad wasn't a Jehovah's Witness, 
my mom had to get permission from the elders because my dad was abusive mm. to leave him. Um, and it wasn't okay. Cause even though they had gotten married when my mom was still Hindu, they had gotten married when she was still in the Caribbean where they okay. lived before okay. immigrating to Canada. Um, and that was a Hindu marriage when they got originally got married. A pundit blessed that. Okay. Since she had came and she had become a Jehovah's Witness, it became a marriage, like, under God, like, under Jehovah. Right. Okay. So, when she separated from him and it was, you know, because of us, because of safety reasons, and then she finally wanted to divorce him, it took a, quite a long time to be able to go through the proceedings because the elders in the Kingdom Hall were posing such a problem about it that like you were in an abusive relationship and you got married under god doesn't matter what kind of god but still under god and you can't break that i mean it strips people away of of empowerment completely right like like a woman is being abused and she's trying to make a decision that is healthy not only for her but for, for her children her and her children she's trying to yeah. honor herself and her children and she's being shamed for that and held to this. Like, this is what we're dealing with. This is why we need to take a look at conformity. This is why we need to break free from conformity. Like, if you choose those beliefs, choose them consciously. Don't just default to the standard belief that you've been taught. And this is why I do what I do is like challenge the thinking because I wasn't allowed to challenge my thinking ever. Yeah. That was wrong. And I remember when I would step out of the box, this is the only way I could evaluate. I'd step out of the box of Christianity and I'd look in and I'd be like, what the fuck? This is crazy shit. Of course, not in those words. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> but I would be like, this actually doesn't really make that much sense because it was a seed of doubt of like reasoning things. And I'd heard like of Christians who had the truth, who had left Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that makes no sense. Why would they do that? But then you have to ask yourself the question, like, what? there's obviously a reason that they did that. So I'm not going to be so obtuse that I'm not going to even look at that when my whole life was on the line here. Like my whole potential marriage, my whole like future mm -hmm. was dependent on me, like kind of knowing my truth and my beliefs. Right. So, so I'm standing outside the box looking in going, oof. This is kind of weird, actually, especially the purity movement. I started watching documentaries on that, and I was like, that is fucked up. Like, this is weird. And I just started to see people stripped of their power, stripped of their power. And what I was seeing in Playboy, and I know Playboy isn't always the best example of, like, the best scenarios when it comes to sex positivity, sex positivity. but, like, it was a window into, like, this beautiful authentic world where people could express themselves with like no backlash and i was like what is happening this is crazy i've never seen this like i had to have a right answer for things so i'd stand out there and then i'd jump back in the box and i'd be like okay god didn't smite me you know what i mean like <laughs> and i was like and i had to just I had to keep doing it that way because I couldn't objectively look at it 
from inside because everybody was telling me I couldn't. Yeah. You, you're, you have to read the right things and you're going to be swayed in the wrong direction, but like, you can't listen to anybody outside to make your decisions. So I just had to go out and then look back in. So there's that piece, right? And And divorce really challenges that conformity. Like if we're having people stay in these relationships, that mentality filters into like all of society, right? This whole idea that, oh, your marriage failed. Well, and your marriage is supposed to be your safe space, right? So Mm -hmm. if you can't come home to a person, husband or wife, that's your safe space, right? then you're going to work, you're in a certain mindset, you're coming home and you're stressed out. It's awful. So we're being forced to stay in marriages that consume us, that make us absolutely miserable, just because our religion tells us we cannot change our mind. You married somebody when you were 19, and you have to stay with them the rest of your life. You can't grow. You can't change from it. You have to accept that this person is your person. And and if you made a mistake, well, that was no, you. That didn't. Was you. You, have to, <laughs> you have to learn from that or make the best of it, right? And- like and and I struggle with that because I was married for like 23 years when I separated, right? I got married at 22 and and as I sort of unraveled this thinking and and reasoned my way out of my faith, I was like um this relationship is actually not that healthy for me. It wasn't abusive in a physical abuse or mm-hmm. anything like that. Um but we were clearly not great for each other anymore. Well, we wanted very different things from life once we were allowed to, like, figure out who we were, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, I recognize that I was worthy of being treated in a way that someone, like, really enjoyed spending time with me and really wanted to be, like, partner with me in, in just living and life and not have their own separate life, like, you know, because we, it was such a failure to, to divorce and like divorce was never part of my vocabulary. It was never something I was going to allow as, as we came to that conclusion that this is actually not really that healthy for us. And like, we're focusing all our, well, I was focusing all my energy on him. He would probably disagree, but like, he didn't want that energy. He, it was too much for him. Like he just like, go away, do your own thing. And I would like, Force. It was like this codependence, right? Like I was forced codependency was like taught that Mm -hmm. I I was not okay on my own. I couldn't go and discover what it is that I wanted for me. That was selfish. Self-care was like a dirty word in my mind, you know, like, like that's no, you don't, you're a mom and you're a wife and you make sacrifices, right? And yet I, I was doing all the right things, but I wasn't happy and I was taught that life isn't just about being happy. It's about having joy and God, you know, God gives you joy. And so it's like you you learn to like <laughs> gaslight yourself all the time because you're like, okay, I have joy, but I'm actually not happy. But that's not what it's about. You know, like there's always bad days and, and things like that. And I just... I wasn't allowed to want uh, to want more, yeah. right? Like I wasn't allowed because you felt stifled. Like who am I to to 
to do that, you know? And then, and then I started coming to the realization that like, I'm actually, I actually don't have any energy left for my kids in like just a beautiful way where I can just invest and in, in just put into their lives. And I mean, I did, but like just spend time with them because I was busy like chasing this man that didn't really want to spend time with me. So it was like, I have to make that a priority because if the parents are okay, the kids will be fine. And in a lot of ways, yes, that is true because it gives them some sort of security when they're not fighting. Yeah, it gives them stability. But like when we finally decided that we were separating, like we consciously uncoupled, right? So it was like an undoing process and we were like, okay, let's consciously do this. We don't have to hate each other. Yeah. But like clearly we're not great for each other we would thrive better in a different situation. We told the kids and I remember they were like, I'm surprised you guys stay together this long. Like they were like, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like you guys just aren't great for each other. You don't bring the best out of each other. So that was really eye opening too. And it made me go like to whose detriment is it? Cause you've been trying to force it to make it work. For the kids. Yeah. And for the kids to but knowingly the kids were say. Like, yeah. They were like, well, that doesn't even make sense, you guys. You're like, not meant for each other. Yeah. And I mean, we did make it work for a long time, but like, you have to g- give up completely who you are. Like, so he wasn't himself and I wasn't myself. I was a fraction of who I am. Right. And I mean, I was a good person still and I, I was a good wife and things like that, but like, at the end of the day, like, who I am now is, like, I love who I am now. I don't judge people the same way. Like, I can fully, openly love people without worrying about what consequences are going to come from that. Like, it's just, it's a whole different way to love. Once, <laughs> I remember the one day when when there was uh, a ladies acapella group that I was leading. And a lot of them were all religious, the religions that I didn't think were Christian, you know, already. <laughs> I was so judgmental of them, but I was like, they're, you know, that's a good example, blah, 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 whatever. And I remember looking around the room the one day and I was like, <gasps> I am no better than anybody in this room. And that was the biggest relief and breath of fresh air of my entire life. Like, I literally was programmed to believe that because I had the truth, I was somehow superior to all of them. Like how haughty is that? How like it's, that's how Jehovah's Witnesses think all the time. Right. Because Jehovah's Witnesses convert everybody that they encounter. Right. Right. You're taught that you have to save as many people as you can. And so everywhere we went, like for school, for my friends, I had to be like, but you're wrong. Exactly. And so that's why in grade three, it was so monumental because my best friend at the time, she, I think was Roman Catholic. And I had another best friend that was Muslim. Mm. And I got these differences of like, oh, we have multiple gods. Oh, we have a God too. And Jesus is forefront for us. We don't have like God, God. And I was like, what really makes Jehovah's Witnesses, the absolute truth. (laughs) I was like, if you think you're correct, but you also, your religion has so many similarities to mine. Mm -hmm. Our Bibles are very similar. Like, Jehovah's Witnesses use the King James, well, one of the King James versions. But 
that in itself has been transcript like what's the word translated, translated so many from hebrew or from <laughs> aramaic <laughs> to english and you lose a lot in translation you do so we use almost the same bible we think similarly there's slight differences between christianity catholicism all of these things they're branches of the same tree and i'm like what makes us absolutely correct and you are incorrect what makes it so that i can go to heaven or that i am blessed and that i won't go to hell that i have to judge you so strongly that i have to convince you that you're incorrect oh it's so much stress isn't it like it's it's, terrible that we can't just respect each other and their differences and we want to like we're taught love but yet we're like yeah yeah but you don't know but you're but Hindu, you're, so you're not going to go to heaven. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, I mean, you can try as hard as you want, and I, I, I love your passion, and you're, but you're still wrong. And, and I remember I'm thinking right. that as well because I remember I had a friend, and I was devastated that she was a different religion because she wasn't going to go to heaven. Mm, yeah. And I was so upset, and I was like, "You need to change your way of thinking. You need to, you need to go to heaven. I love you so much." And I was like, "If I love you, I should accept you as you are." And the Bible teaches that as well. But we had to police. It's like we were responsible for their eternity. Like, it's a huge responsibility that we put on people. And it's, like, it's, it it gets you ostracized. But then that's, that's kind of like, you know, if you have the truth, then you're going to be ostracized. Like, it's yeah. like how they drill in the... If you fit in, then you're just like the world. You're a sheep. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But yet, if you look at the church, it's like, um, they are sheep. They are all following this shepherd, mm-hmm. having no clue what they think for themselves. You know, like, oh, yeah. Whatever. You are told that this is the truth, and you cannot differ in any way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And you can't question, because once you start to question, then you're straying. Then you're going worldly. Mm-hmm. Then you've had too much influence on you. Yes. And I mean, I don't think people understand that. Like, my Catholics don't quite understand that. They have a lot of shame and guilt and about sexuality and all different things. But, like, I find that, like, in those more ecumenical religions, quote unquote, um, less cult-like, <laughs> there was room for... Mm, like being a Sunday Christian was okay. Mm-hmm. As long as you came on Sunday, you know, you were fine. Cause you could go and, you know, confess your sins to the priest. But like, like for, for me, like a Sunday Christian was despicable. Yeah. Not dedicated enough. No. Like it was like, you know, it, it, like lukewarm. I mean, I will spew you out of, God will spew you out of his mouth if you're lukewarm. It's like you have to be hot or cold. Um, but lukewarm is, is not, and that's why so many people dedicated their life to the church because you have to be all in to show your dedication. Exactly. And, and there's, and we, we're so like community minded, right? Like we need community. We are community beings. We are tribal. Like we, you know, way back, like that's how we survived is through community. Like everybody bringing something to the table. 
as you, you can't survive just by yourself in the wild, right? Kind right. of thing, right? Like it, you, you can't, you have to live in community. Um, so being ostracized from a community meant death. So as we, as we grow up, this is our community. This is our world. This is all we know. This is what we're taught as this is our safety. Mm-hmm. And everybody outside are bulls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody is there to hurt us and doesn't have the best intentions for us. Meanwhile, we're being manipulated and controlled within. But I honestly think a lot don't even realize that that's what's happening. They're not aware. They're just following what they've been told. And they're following what they've been told generation after generation after generation. And we are a whole culture of people who don't think for themselves because yeah. you risk ostracizing yourself you risk not belonging to a community there's nothing worse than not being a part of a community it's lonely we we experienced that with covid Mm -hmm. we were like whoa this sucks to be alone and not to be able to gather with the people that are our people or that we perceive to be our people it it feels very like mental health suffers ostracizing yeah it feels and it was like imposed on us for reasons but it was like the opposite, you know, of religion. Like we were shamed for getting together yeah. for the first time. And some people just decided to switch gears and kind of find out what their life could look like under the circumstances. And, and we're like, well, I can't do that. So I'm going to, you know, recreate my life in some way. And I think in some ways it, it gave permission to a lot of people to reevaluate because you weren't just stuck in an endless loop of just the day to day. Yeah. Like for me, all of a sudden my business, my music teaching business ended because like singing was dangerous. Right. So, well, I have to recreate myself now if I'm going to survive, you know, so maybe now it's time to do the thing that I've been passionate about my whole life and doing anyways, but now I could get paid for that. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyways, that's, I think it's a really valid conversation on like how conformity, the reason conformity is so effective and the reason we struggle to break free from conformity is because we need to belong. And what I, one of my missions is showing people that there is a whole beautiful, magical world and community of people who are authentic and beautiful and amazing. I mean, we got together last night a bunch of us, you know, a few of us that are, that are part of our tribe kind of, and it was just magical. It was wonderful. It was magic. I, I think like you would try to explain that to people and they'd be like, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. And I was like, no, like it. And I mean, like it was a whole bunch of swingers, right? Uh, there was zero sex, zero, zero sex. And we left. I felt the- so fulfilled. Oh my I felt God. so lif- uplifted afterwards. I mean, like my energy <laughs> going to bed was so peaceful mm. and it was actually great. Like I explained it to a friend of mine today um, on the phone, how, you know, last night I came over with an expectation of something and the night didn't go the way that I had thought in my head mm-hmm. it would go, but it went much better than I ever expected. Like, it was just bonding and it was it was that sense of community it was and and i i think that 
you know, it's easy to lose the plot. Like people think that they're coming into this world for sex and novelty. And that can be a part of it, obviously. But swinging or or the lifestyle or these experiences doesn't lead with sex. No. It leads with connection. Well, and those those who come to this world for sex, they're going to be sorely disappointed. They're going to be disillusioned. They're going to be frustrated because like if you come with a bucket list of things, like that's why you're here. If you happen to find other people that have a bucket list or whatever, that's great. But you realize very quickly that there is a community of loving people that actually become your family. And if you're open to that and if you're not threatened by that, life is never going to be the same again for well, you. Well, because the lifestyle and swinging, people don't want to be used. No. They want to be cherished. They do. They want intimate connections. They want people to acknowledge them mm-hmm. and their presence and their value. And they don't want it to lead with sex. Like, at least for me. Right. Well, and that's <laughs> the thing. for a lot is, of people well, that we talk to. That's why, like, for me, being a, a sex-positive relationship designer is so key. Because, like, you're in it for different reasons than other people, mm-hmm. right? And and there's a lot of shame because we feel like we have to conform. If you're like, I'm a swinger, that means this, 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 and this. Well, that term doesn't fit me. I love that yeah. we use, like, once you're in this world – it's lifestyle because Correct, it's yeah. a lifestyle, but like people have no idea what lifestyle means outside of well, it's this an umbrella. World. It's an umbrella. Well, and you have it many is subcategories. It is. I was. I would say like ethical non-monogamy is the big umbrella, and it can hold everything from like you know one night stand swinging to polyamory, like relationship anarchist, like solo poly, where you're like there's zero connection with what you do. And what your partner does, like the worlds don't necessarily combine to like everything you do is only with your partner and there's zero connections outside of that. Mm-hmm. Your partner is the only thing. and there, But there's a whole world in between that. And you can like go on the spectrum to whatever it is that you want. And when you are finally like in this empowered place where you're like, wait a second, let me evaluate who I am. Like what are my actual personal needs? Like for you, you are a deeply connecting person. Which is why you're my person too, because that's what I, that's what I did. And I had shame about that for a long time. Like, oh, you're only going to sleep with someone if you connect with them? Actually, yeah. Yeah. But at first I felt like I was doing it wrong. I did. I mean, initially for me, it does lead with physical attraction. Yes. But in order for me to get past physical attraction... Mm -hmm. I need something mm-hmm. deeper than the surface. I need to connect on an intellectual or an emotional yeah. or a mental basis. Like, if I can't talk to you afterwards, if it's strictly <laughs> physical and I can't cuddle you afterwards and talk to you about the universe <laughs> or talk to you about my day or how stressful so-and-so was, like, why am I with you? If you can't be a safe space for my mind, why are you why why do you have access to my body? Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. And there it, needs to be multiple things that yeah. multiple things that are checked off for me. And I think that's why like there's certain people that are are you know the right clients for me. Like if you're someone who just wants to have sex in this world, you're probably not going to be drawn to me as your as your coach or relationship designer because I'm much more interested in the the journey of of you coming into this world in a healthy way where you can 
be authentic to yourself sexually and and learn to express your boundaries with with safety and no shame and guilt and not afraid to be mean because there's a way to do it that's absolutely not mean that you don't have to sacrifice your integrity to have boundaries and i think there's all this boundary stuff thrown around it's like talk to the hand these are my boundaries and you can't mess with me and it's like well that's 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 just swinging to the other side of the pendulum. You know, it's like either you're getting walked on or you're just being a bitch. And I think there's this nice middle ground where we can be authentically caring and loving while still being authentically caring and loving to ourselves. Yeah. Right. So that's a big part for me. So this journey, you know, and then, and then moving through like, how do you have an empowered relationship with yourself, with other people? And, if you don't have those pieces together, you're not going to be successful in this world and not bring drama into this world, if you will, right? Because if you're not willing to go through those steps, you're going to have fun at first. It's going to be great. You're going to live off of the dopamine rush and the, all the excitement and the sexy vibes. Like, yes, it can be an escape, you know, just like alcohol can be great and and be a distraction and you feel good on it. But you know what? At the end of the day, when the alcohol wears off and you were trashed that night, you feel shitty the next day. Mm -hmm. The same thing will catch up to you if you are using the lifestyle to escape from your reality. Completely. And when you can go, wait, I have zero shame about my sexual desires and my fantasies. Bring it on. I can also express them in a beautiful way. And also, I don't have to fuck every man that I see. It's like I still can be selective. Like, just because I am sexually free doesn't mean that everybody is on the table, literally and figuratively, right? So I think that we we just aren't taught how, how to do this. Okay, so let's get back to uh, modesty because, yes. because in this whole thing, all of a sudden you're like, oh, we can show up sexy and be ourselves at the club, for instance. and those who who have been taught that if you're not modest you're asking for something okay totally okay so this is this oh my is goodness. that 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 subconscious disempowering belief that you don't even realize is there it's a cultural belief as well mm -hmm. so if you haven't if you're not aware of that and you're seeing all these sexy women owning their shit and owning their sexuality and you still have that belief you're going to feel like they owe you something in some way. But that is not how it works. So talk to us a little bit about this whole unveiling of this modesty piece. Okay. So <laughs> for me, growing up, modesty was very important. Mm -hmm. Especially at the Kingdom Hall. You know, like you always had to be wearing stockings. You couldn't show your legs. Skirts had to be long. Mm -hmm. No low-cut tops. Um... We could show our arms or our ankles, whatever. That was fine. But it it followed me. And it's still it's still prevalent in my life now. Because I'm a support worker by mm -hmm. profession. Um, I dress very modestly because of my job. Because I want to be taken seriously as well. Uh, like, just one second there. Pause on that. Because I want to be taken seriously as well. Oh, but that, that also goes hand in hand with my age, though. But still, that's, it's a cult, it's become a cultural norm. Like that, that's what I mean is like these beliefs are so deep rooted that 
they're not religious out there. The your coworkers, you know, like they're they're not thinking, oh, she should be modest because you know, sex is bad. No, true. But that programming is so ingrained, deep and yeah. ingrained in our actual culture that we do have to deal with things like, well, that that crosses our mind. If if I show a little bit too much, I'm going to be judged for that because sexuality is not moral, and I'm going to be trying something and I can't be taken seriously as a woman if I show up in my sexuality, which is another reason why we all love the club so much because we're like, bring it on. I can be myself and nobody's judging me for that. I'm literally being praised at every turn for owning who I am and owning my body. And that's a beautiful thing because we don't get that in the world. So continue. Sorry. I just I remember. No, no, no. That. That's totally fine. I remember the first time I wore lingerie to the club. Ooh. Oh, it was so empowering <laughs> because the first couple times I went to the club, I was like, what do I wear? Let me wear like a tight dress. Let me show off my body. Let me wear an outfit that I truly feel beautiful in. Because mm-hmm. um, when else do I get the opportunities right. to wear clothes like this? And the first time I wore lingerie, I I think I went to the club with my partner that night. I don't think I went by myself because I often do go by myself mm-hmm. and it's completely fine. Um, but I did have more attention mm-hmm. that night. It was positive attention, mm-hmm. obviously, but it didn't, it didn't cross my mind that I was immodest. Like mm-hmm. when I left my house, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my ha- house in lingerie. I have to wear a coat. Like yeah, yeah. I don't want anybody to see me in this until I get to the club. But once you're at the club, other people are dressed similarly. Mm-hmm. There is no body shaming. There is no stigma. No. No. It's just you're there. You're in lingerie. You're there in something that you feel confident in, whether that's fully clothed, less clothed. It doesn't matter. You embody your sensuality and mm-hmm. your divine feminine. And I, I felt so awesome just mm-hmm. being in the natural state of like, I'm here, I'm wearing something I feel confident in, and it's accepted. Mm-hmm. It's not strictly for the bedroom. It can mm-hmm. be for other people's enjoyment. It can be for my mm-hmm. enjoyment, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I feel confident in this, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be for a specific person. It's not, I wear this outfit for you, for the bedroom. And and that is so prevalent in sort of, well, society in general, right? Like, but as as like a Christian, like I would wear those things for my husband, mm-hmm. and that's hard to get yourself out of it. Like when you're partnered, and you're like, "Oh, I should be wearing this because that's going to turn him on, or that's going to." And it's like, no, you can do things that nice for other people. Right. That's there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're only doing things because that's what you're supposed to do, or I should be doing that because you know, that will give them pleasure and, and, and not being allowed to ask for your own pleasure because this, this dialogue is running through your mind. Like, Oh, but they're going to think I'm being selfish or they're going to think whatever it may be that we struggle with. Um, empower, empowerment really comes from this losing shame about our bodies to begin with, mm-hmm. which is really hard to do. But like, if you would have had shame leaving your house 
or putting that lingerie on to begin with, if you would have had shame about that being okay or not okay, you wouldn't have been able to walk in the club with the empowerment that you had. Right. Because you would have not held safety or created safety for yourself mm-hmm. in your own. I would have sabotaged myself yeah, creatively. Yeah. And 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 that's why that's why I feel like it's so important to do the work because just magically showing up to the club in lingerie is not gonna solve Boost your self esteem and your gonna, body image issues and yeah. It's not gonna fix it. Um, if you're not willing to, unless you're looking for the praise specifically, yes, because there are people that go for that. Yes, but it's short lived. Again, it's that high. It's that dopamine. Yeah, and you're gonna high. crash. And there are some people who do that on a regular basis and have to be there all the time, mm. and then they leave and like the crash on Monday, you know, and you hear, or Sunday, you hear that oh, like, but and that's why they keep on coming back exactly to get that praise. They again. have to have that because they're not getting it from themselves. Yeah. Like we have to be able to step back and go, wait, am I just going to constantly self abandon to get praise or self abandon to be what I think I'm supposed to be? It just looks different. Mm-hmm. Right now, the context is you're allowed to be in lingerie at the club, and there's no judgment from the people there. Yeah, but if you're still judging yourself for it somewhere in there, that's still going to affect you negatively. Of course. And if your partner's still got this programming that that's shameful in some way, they're going to love seeing you that way, but they're also going to hate the attention you get from other people because that's mm, that's not okay to be admiring a woman or she's asking for it and you have to somehow protect her from that or like there's just so many things that come up and I don't think that people recognize the pitfalls that can happen Mm -hmm. because it is so exciting in the beginning and and I just have such a strong desire to to bring awareness to like how to be completely authentic in ourselves so that we can feel free in the whole process and grow as a person and be who we're actually meant to be without fucking shame and guilt. We yeah. just kick that shit to the curb. Yeah. We don't need it. And that takes a lot of reprogramming because it's everywhere. I mean, it's not an accident that most people are people pleasers. It's not an accident. We learned very early on people who are people to do pleasers things for other people and not for ourselves right because you didn't get praised as a kid if you like just were a selfish brat no <laughs> the more you were able to look out for people and like bring and benefit sharing. to them yeah mm-hmm. then then you got a positive reaction right and so we then attached our self-worth to getting praise and so and that also leads into why i actually chose support work as a mm. as a profession like, I wanted to give back. I wanted to make a difference in my community. I still do. I love what I do. But, but you probably do it from a different lens now. It's like, that's not where yes, you get your self-worth. Yeah. Now your self-worth just comes from being true to yourself rather than actually how well my, you support other In my people. profession, I gain happiness from supporting them mm-hmm. to be independent. Yes. So, um... So I work at a day program, and we support uh, adults with developmental and intellectual disabilities out to activities in the community. Today in particular, I supported a group of three out to volunteer. I love being able to do that, because then 
they already know their responsibilities. I take a step back Mm -hmm. and I am just supervising. They know what they're responsible for. They do it. I can prompt, but they do it. Mm -hmm. And it enables them to just do instead of, instead of being a dependent or having the responsibility of somebody else to take care of them, they take care. And I would imagine that coming from a background where we had to have people believe what we believed or they weren't okay, that there's, there's such freedom in just letting people discover who they are Mm -hmm. and be strong in themselves. Like that's not threatening anymore. And one of the most amazing things actually with me is when I'm enabling these, uh, the people that I support to do these things, Mm -hmm. to have these actions Mm -hmm. in volunteering or in other spaces when we're doing activities, they can mess up. They can make mistakes and it's a gentle correction. It's never like, oh my God, you broke something. You shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you broke it. Here's a way to do it differently so that this doesn't happen next time. So you're saying there's no shame? Like you're not bringing shame upon them for doing something? Well, people (laughs) people can make mistakes. And like instead of us thinking, oh my God, it's the worst thing in the world. We can't. We have to be perfect all the time. We can't make mistakes. We can't. We have to learn one way and do it the right way every single time. We don't understand how trapping that is and how stuck we stay when that's what we believe to be true. And when we can't break free from that programming, we just live our lives maybe in a different pattern, but it's the same pattern, just a different place. Like maybe now you're living out the same pattern of your disempowering beliefs, but now you're in the club and you feel like you're more empowered to a point, Mm -hmm. but then you don't understand why things are unraveling for you or why you can't make the connections that you want to make or why you're having trouble in your relationship or this or that. Um, I I love what you said last night. Um, What was it? You were talking about this empowering, like you're not, having to please other people like you don't feel bad about oh that i don't need to be liked that i don't feel the need to be liked yeah yeah and it's like that's something that took me a very long time to figure out but now that (laughs) i think that way it affects all aspects so let me ask you if the goal is that you have to be liked by everybody what what are you missing out on everything but that also it stemmed from people pleasing. Oh, of course. Right? The need to feel liked, the need to attribute your worth to your contribution. So what about like the people who like you without you having to try now? Yeah. What who are they? Why do they like me? What do I offer? Well, they're your- I don't need to offer anything. Exactly. They're your people. Like yeah. like like I don't think we understand that we actually don't have to try so hard yeah. to, in life to, like, find our people. We just have to be willing to be ourselves and mm-hmm. willing to let people go that aren't our people instead of, like, forcing everybody to think we're amazing. Like, I might not be somebody's cup of tea. 
but that's not a personal rejection. It just means that we're actually probably not going to be the best fit for each other and it's going to be hard. But like when you find your people and you're just like, oh, this is simple. Like, why am I wasting my energy on people that it's hard with when I could just have a few people in my life that it's just simple and it's beautiful and there's a, is an equal energy exchange and dialogue and we enjoy talking about the same things. We don't have everything in common, but man. It's interesting you bring that up because a lot of people think the more friends you have, the more enriched your life is. Mm. And I highly disagree. Mm-hmm. So I... I do have quite a lot of friends, but I compartmentalize my friends. Mm-hmm. So some friends are some are for specific reasons. Mm-hmm. And all of my friends I can be vulnerable with. All mm-hmm. of my friends are mm-hmm. in my support circle. They're in my tribe. But I go to different people for different things. And that's and, okay. And sometimes all you need is two or three people that you can trust with your entire being. Yeah. It doesn't need to be seven or eight or mm-hmm. ten or twelve. No. You just need good friendships, good relationships that you can be vulnerable and authentic and it's an equal energy exchange. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Do you find that um, by recognizing that one person doesn't have to meet all of those things, you free up you free up space to let other people meet other needs without feeling bad about it. Completely. <laughs> Cause like completely nothing is on one person. Yeah. And, and like that also means nothing's all on me either. Like yeah. I don't have to be everything for my partner or for my best friend or for my best friend or for, you know, as, or as a coach even, you know, like maybe I'm not the right coach. Like, I can talk to you about sexuality and sex and like specifics, gang bang, size queen, whatever you want. I can talk about all of that and I can help you that. But like, if you want a sex coach who's going to teach you about anatomy and all that kind of stuff, like I'm happy to let someone else take you through that journey, even though I could do it, but that's not my wheelhouse. That's not what I'm passionate about. I feel like I don't have to be that person for me to be worthy as a coach. And I struggled for that. I struggled with that for a while. Like, if I can't offer everything, like, what good am I? Well, what? You don't have to fit all of Why does that matter? Like, I'm really good at what I do. I'm really good at, like, at bringing people to awareness and, and, and giving them permission to not have to be everything, giving them permission to explore sexually without shame and guilt. When there's so much programming against them, you know, former religious people or people who just are like, oh my God, I can't, I could never do that. But I kind of curious and I want to try some things, but I, I don't know if I could ever do that. But that's, that's where I come in. Like, you don't have to know if you could do that. Let's just explore and let's, let's rid you of the need to like have it all figured out. Let's get rid of the shame and guilt about it first that you even are considering it is not shameful. It might not be for you. It might not be a good fit. Let's figure that out. But don't tell yourself that you're a bad person or something because you want something that's not conforming. A lot of life is fitting into boxes. Yes. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that you are so dedicated to allowing people 
to be comfortable enough to get out of their mm. box, to get out of their comfort zone, to delve into different boxes, to test the waters. Mm-hmm. But like, it's not just one thing. I am not just in this one box. I am so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I love that you offer people the space to do that. Oh. Thank you for saying that because that is like I used to say all the time, the boxes, like let's let's get out of the box. Because not enough people are encouraged Mm-mm. to explore, to delve out of their comfort zone and to to be in a safe enough space that like you can admit the things that you want, mm-hmm. the things that are unsatisfied in your life, mm-hmm. the things that you want to try that I think if I wouldn't have gone through the process that I went through though, I wouldn't I wouldn't know that how freeing it is. And well, it gave you a perspective. Yeah, it did. And and it like when you think the world is crashing around you because now you don't fit anywhere, you're like, where do I fit now? You have to kind of build your worldview from scratch. Like, where do you fit? Who are you? But like, that's a lot. That's hard. And so I want to do that with you. I want to be there to support you because it is lonely to figure out where you fit and and to be willing to get out of the box. Because yeah. it's super comfortable in that box. It might be just the right temperature. It might have, you know, pillows and stuff that you're really comfy in that box. And we don't like to, f- excuse me, we don't like to feel uncomfortable. But I can tell you, and I think you can tell us too, I think we would agree that challenging your thinking and being willing to step out of the box means there's a whole other world that you get to explore. And it is the most freeing, beautiful thing if you are willing to expand your threshold. Yeah. To allow. Yeah. And to not judge yourself for that. And to just be in your own integrity, in your own authenticity, in your own power. It doesn't mean you've got to go be super independent and isolate yourself from everybody. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, wow, when you show up as a whole person and other people show up as whole people, like last night was magic because every person in the room was their own fucking person. And yet we were all like interdependent, you know, like Mm -hmm. we just were like, ah, like singing together and playing music and like encouraging each other and like cuddling and just switching around and people cuddling with others and supporting other like it just was magical and like you can only get there when you're not afraid of your next step all the time like when you're not overthinking everything you're not worried about what someone else is going to think when you're like i'll take this step if they don't like it, that's okay. They don't have to step with me. It's okay. Oh, things could have gone wrong. Like if I was nervous about impeaching on your boundaries and, and cuddling with your partner. Right. Or if I was worried about you being jealous that I was mm-hmm. imposing or doing something that you wouldn't allow. Mm-hmm. But I don't have any of those hesitations. You welcomed me into your home. And I'd like to think I had a good enough understanding coming mm-hmm. into last night that like, you know, boundaries were set, but obviously, I mean the the boundaries were were flexible. Like, yeah, like, like I think everybody was in a place where they they honored themselves enough that they could speak up for their own boundaries, and also honored the other people around that there was zero pressure 
for anything because because we weren't attached to attached to the outcome like my worth didn't depend on like if we ended up playing right right like i didn't set myself up for failure and i think a lot of people do they're like oh my god i'm gonna feel so rejected you go in with an intention it's like you can have an intention you can have a fantasy you can have a desire nothing wrong with that but if that has to happen in order for you to feel worthy there's you got some work to do we have to do some work yeah. We have to figure out like what what belief do you have there that's keeping you stuck in that if that doesn't happen then I'm not worthy. And I don't think people realize that that's what's happening, but it that is what's happening. So <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we unpack. That's that's the world that I want to bring you in. It's it's you know, have these kinds of conversations and to learn from them and go, "Wow. I didn't realize that I did that or I had that pattern." And also, there's zero shame about it. Like, you grew up in that environment. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with changing. So I want to share with you that I think it was a year or two ago. I think it was in 2021. I was at work. And one of my coworkers is my best friend. One of my best friends. She's a significant mother figure for me, and I adore her. We were having a conversation in which... She had told me one of the men in her life, not her husband, a different man, had invited her to a lifestyle club. And we had discussed it on shift. Um, We had discussed the idea of, like, would we ever go? Would you ever swing? Would it ever be, like, would you cheat on your husband? Would I cheat on my partner? Like, I was in a monogamous relationship at the time. I was bisexual. I was openly bisexual and out. Um... But the thought of cheating or being E&M mm-hmm. was not something that was in my brain at all. No framework for no it. No framework for it. And I remember telling my coworker, like, uh, I don't think I would ever go to, like, a lifestyle club. Like, that would be interesting to see. But, like, <laughs> I don't think I would ever play. I don't think I would ever go. Like, that would be cheating. Really? And then look at me now. I know. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's amazing because I've gone back to that same coworker. And I've told her some of the stories, some of the experiences that I've had. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, gee, I I went to a lifestyle club and I experienced it. I experienced it. And there was absolutely no pressure. All the things in my mind that I built up that yeah, would be so yeah. daunting of like, oh, like, you know, there's sex and there's swinging and there are people that go in with their husbands and and it's like cheating everywhere. Like all of the things, all of the preconceived notions yeah, yeah. that I had had going into it were completely thrown out the window. And I realized that I could fit into this scenario. I could fit into clubs. I recognized that there was a sense of community and that once I started to build friendships and relationships mm-hmm. with some of the people there, I was like, you guys are great people. Mm-hmm. It's not that I judged you for. Like, there was no cheating framework. in my mind. I just didn't know the parameters. Mm. I didn't know how being poly worked. I didn't know how being in an open relationship worked. Yep. I didn't know what the hell E&M was yeah. at all. And so to learn about these things through conversations, through being at the club, through online forums, through communication mm-hmm. in general, opened my mind up to the possibility of like, the public probably sees clubs in a certain way, which is how I saw it. But now that I have perspective, Mm -hmm. now that I have the framework of like, 
There are so many different dynamics at play, but everything, everything is consensual. Mm -hmm. Everything is within boundaries. Boundaries are laid everywhere in terms of clubs. Now I love it. Mm. And um, when I went back to my coworker and had these conversations with her and I told her some of the experiences I was having, she was so proud of me Mm. for being able to step out of my box Mm -hmm. because she knew one of the things when I was in that monogamous relationship with my ex Um, who was a man, one of the things, um, I'd always wanted to do was have an experience with a woman. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was bisexual since grade three, but I never had the opportunity to loudly and openly pursue it. Mm. And so coming out of that relationship and being heartbroken and doing the healing work and then being able to revisit, okay, I think I want a relationship now. Let me explore. Mm -hmm. Let me see. If the chips fall where they may, if it turns into a relationship, if it turns into just exploring, into having fun. And I did have an experience with a woman, and it was amazing. Mm. It was life-changing. I loved it. (laughs) And it it headed me further into the lifestyle, further Mm. into exploring what this world, this community had to offer. And how supportive it could be for me. Mm. And now I've been in the lifestyle for eight months. (laughs) And it's been awesome. Mm. (laughs) It's been so exploratory. I've had so many experiences. I've met so many people that honestly lift my heart up. Mm -hmm. Like there are people that obviously I connect with that I want to sleep with. Mm -hmm. But there are even more people that I connect with that I just want to know. Oh, yeah. I just want to spend time with them. And you're one of those people. I definitely want (laughs) to spend more time with you. And I even said it last night. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to have conversations with you. I want to pick your brain. I could hear you talk for hours because (laughs) truly, (laughs) it's awesome the wealth of knowledge that you have Mm -hmm. about not only relationships, but just how we are as human beings Mm -hmm. coming from the childhood that you had Mm -hmm. that we share similar experiences in. Now you're very sex positive and now you give relationship advice and, and you're a coach and I'm very self-aware and I've Mm -hmm. done some of the work to be able to be at a place where like, I say I'm selfish. I know people don't like that word, Mm -hmm. but I'm very me first. Mm -hmm. Everything is me first. In you being me first, you haven't sacrificed the integrity of your kind, loving, empathetic heart. Mm -hmm. And that's where, I think that we think well, it's it not selfish be- with bad motives. It's selfish mm-hmm. because I've taken care of so many people and I've people pleased for mm-hmm. so, so, so long mm-hmm. and it's been to my detriment. Yeah. So now that I'm putting myself first, it's what do I really want? Mm-hmm. How does this impact my future first? Yeah. And I don't think that you would have the, the experience of the club that you have had in such a short amount of time if you hadn't have done some of that awareness work and and done some of that growth like you when you came into this world you were ready to to explore for you mm-hmm. to figure out who you were and not be worried about if other people agreed with you or not and and we have to be able to get to that place in order to make this work in a way that is beautiful and authentic and sustainable yeah Otherwise, we're just going to please new people and maybe drawn into situations where we feel pressure. If we don't have 
an honest love for who we are and and a sense of our own self-worth, we don't have what it takes to stand up for our boundaries, which means that we can't say no yeah. when we need to. It means we can't protect ourselves. It means that we end up not honoring ourselves. We will honor other people first because we don't want them to feel bad. Right. Well, we see that happening at the club and we see the consequences of it. Um, people and, do leave in tears. I've seen people yeah, leave and, very upset. And I don't want that. Like, that's what I'm trying to prevent. I want I want everybody coming in to to understand to feel fulfilled afterwards. Yeah, to feel like what I feel with my people, you know? Yeah. And that took trial and error for me a lot. It, it you know, I want to short circuit this pathway for people. Sometimes you can't, but I want to be able to hold your hand and go, "You're safe." And when when you trip, I'll be there to catch you and we can you, we can work this out and you don't have to feel shame for messing up. Like you get to just take it as a learning experience and we move forward. But like some of my luxury VIP um, offers are like literally traveling, traveling with people and taking them to experience these things after working together and kind of unpacking some of this stuff and like making sure that the path is, is, is well laid out for them and that they're ready. But like going to like a cruise or a, a, a resort that's lifestyle that and, and knowing what it is they want to accomplish or what they want to experience and creating that experience and then being there to like debrief and find out like, okay, how did that feel? Like your programming is going to mess with you. It's inevitable yeah. until you challenge it. And that's what I'm there for is just to like hold your hand the whole way. Like I'm like a warm blanket or a tour guide. And some people really do need that. They really do need a guide or a helping hand or somebody Mm -hmm. to have their back. For me, I I kind of entered it without that. Like I didn't have a support system or somebody Mm -hmm. to like have my back going into it. Um, But it was fine. Because you're, you're self-aware and, and you have a very, I was my own safety. Yeah. You have a strong sense of self and a strong sense of of connecting and like the ability to be vulnerable um to a level that feels safe for you and because of that i think you're able to to trust your intuition more than some people like because you can go oh no no that doesn't feel right and not beat yourself up for you know being afraid that someone's going to be upset by it you you're know? right like, yeah, and, and i think if you don't have that you're going to struggle and I just want to be real about that because, like, you are such. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, you're, you're you're a beautiful person to watch in that world because you do hold your own boundaries and your own your energy is so pure, and you don't feel selfish at all. You feel like you are self. Hmm, what's the? How can I describe this? I don't need to worry about you. Because you're worrying about you in in a healthy way. And so when someone meets you, and and people say this about me too, I think, is like, it's just like a breath of fresh air because you're just you. You're not filtering all the things that like, what if I say this? And what if I don't? It's all this stuff. You just show up like, here I am, take it or leave it. And I'm going to love you either way. No harm done. And 
how beautiful is it to walk through the world that way? Because the connections that you do make are so genuine and authentic and nothing has to be forced. And it's so empowering. And so I just want to encourage you to keep doing that because you, you are giving yourself such a gift, but in giving yourself that gift, you're giving a gift to everybody else too. You know, it's no accident that you were invited here last night because we guard our, our tribe very carefully. Like we, I don't have a lot of energy to give and, and I work with people and I help people with Mm -hmm. a lot of things, but like, I recognize when there's going to be reciprocating of energy and it's a beautiful exchange, it doesn't feel draining. Yeah. You know? And so when you're. Oh, I'm completely the same way. Yeah. And so I'm not willing anymore. I love the people that I don't need a social battery for. Right. Because at work, I am so drained. Yeah. Sometimes I, I am the only voice that fills the eight hour shift. Right. Sometimes I'm, I'm talking and I'm interacting and, and my social battery gets depleted. And then I go home. I live on my own. Mm -hmm. I love my alone time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that. I've learned to love mm-hmm. because starting to live alone, oh my God, loneliness was eating at me. Mm-hmm. And now I love going home, sitting on my couch with a book under my blanket, putting the the Christmas lights on or putting mm-hmm. the fireplace channel on. Like I love sitting in my solitude mm-hmm. and just having it be like a meditation or just mm-hmm. like a... A but routine that I go you're through. comfortable to be with yourself now because you're not. But I didn't used to be. No, no, no. And a lot of people are not. No, and and I, it took me a while as well because, you know, I thought, I don't know, I I thought that, well, I I derived my worth from other people, from affirmation from other people and things like that, like, and and it's because I didn't affirm myself, yeah. like, is because self. Self care was was so selfish and, and abhorrent to me that that I didn't do that, and so my battery wasn't being charged. I wasn't charging my own batteries. I reach. I I um. What's the word I'm looking for? I needed other people. I was looking to other people to charge my battery mm-hmm. instead of charging my own. And it's like when we realize that you know, like. <laughs> I I have the power to fill up my battery, like my phone, it's not going to charge on its own. So, of course, being on its own, not plugged in, it's, it's not going to be good for it. But, like, if you plug in that phone, it's going to be at 100%, and then it's going to be usable, and, and it's going to provide the user with so much good. But if you're at, like, 10%, you're you're nervous and worried about your phone dying at at the moment when you need it. Like there's anxiety You're like, and it's because you need that thing to work and you have no control over anything. Well, when you become in control of your own when you look in charge, yeah, yeah, that, that you don't have to depend, depend. That's the word I was looking at. You don't have to depend on someone else to recharge you. There's such empowerment to that. There's such strength, but it doesn't mean that you don't allow other people to, to fill you. Well, that goes hand in hand a lot with self-worth. Yeah. If we personally think we are capable enough, and that's something that I worked on for a really long time of like, can I do this? Can I, 
am I capable enough? Can I take care of other people? Can I take care of myself? Can I live alone? Can I have a career? Can I have a car? Can I, can I not rely on other people to fulfill my actual needs? In relationships, I was always seeking somebody to fill all of the criteria on my list and nobody ever did. Mm -hmm. And now that it's different, now that I have a different dynamic, great. But like, I fulfill so many things for myself. Mm -hmm. Now my partners just fit into my life. It's a bonus. Because I'm actually not looking for someone to f to make me happy. Right. Like, my happiness is fully derived from myself. Mm -hmm. My actions, my hobbies, my self-care, my self-talk. Mm -hmm. All of these things make me happy. Mm -hmm. My partners can make me happy in activities or in situations or environmentally. They can make me happy. Well, they but add I'm not to the looking, joy. They do, that, but I'm not looking there. for one person to make me happy. It's not like I have to see you or else I'm nothing without mm -hmm. you. Because that's how a lot of relationships are. And that's to my detriment because I was always – that's 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 what codependency is. Well, and and like let's not forget that that's the model we're taught. Like, you know, your your other half. Yes. Your better half. You know, your yes. soulmate. Like yes. you have to find someone to complete you because we're fed that we aren't complete. We are incomplete alone. I mean, look at the Disney movies. Right? Like the the princess is like I have to find my prince and I'm nothing without him. And he has to come and rescue the princess or he's not worthy. Is it any wonder that men think they have to solve all of our problems and fix everything in order to be worthy? And is it any wonder that we feel like we're not enough without a man by our side or whatever? Like this is this is what I'm talking about. This like subconscious programming that's runs ingrained. deep. Yeah. That's from the time we're little and like we form our disempowering beliefs, our, our belief system by the time we're seven. Wow. We already have that and we just play out a pattern of those beliefs over and over again until we become aware. Until we recognize how those patterns are affecting us. Until we shift those patterns. So that's what we do in my program. It's like we we literally shift that programming at the subconscious level. I love use, that. We use hypnotherapy to help. And with it's that. so helpful and, and it's, it's necessary. It's trans so transformative, right? So if you think that you don't need that <laughs> You actually do for anything. It doesn't even matter if you're going in the lifestyle or not. Yeah. It's just like to live and just be authentic to yourself. And be accepting. You have to shift that program. You have to be aware of what you have programmed. Anyways, we could go on forever and we are out of time. We've already gone over, but that's okay. It's worth it. Um, and people who listen to my podcast understand that and they just like the conversation. So I'm not too worried oh, about Oh, and we'll the time. have more conversations. Oh, we will. A hundred percent. We will. Um, Anyways, you guys, thank you for being here. And, and Ariel, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable and open and being willing to share your journey with us. Thank you for having this conversation with me. And thank you for being open and vulnerable yourself. You're I respect enough. it and I accept it. Love and I love that. it. <laughs> thank you. And as I always say, when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Wow, that was such an incredible conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. It was so enlightening and just a beautiful example of like how loving ourselves doesn't have to be full of pride or this negative thing that we've been taught. It's actually 
being in humility and recognizing that we are part of something bigger. And if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't actually give to the bigger picture. And that's not selfish at all. You know, it's not, it's not selfish to, to need to plug in the phone. Like the phone is not selfish for needing that. It just is. And it serves us better when we plug it in. And I just like that analogy because I think it just brings it home that we, we feel guilty for needing things. We feel guilty for taking care of ourselves, but like we can only function when we don't self abandon. And as people pleasers, we have been taught over and over again in our culture that it is better to self abandon and meet other people's needs because we get our worth from being praised. That's how we feel worthy. But really, when the worth comes from knowing your worth, knowing who who you are and being able to look after, being aware of your needs and look after those needs with love and care, then we become magnetic and vibrant and authentic and beautiful humans. And there's nothing selfish about that. So. I'm going to leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed today. I will see you next time. Thanks for being here. Love you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Kareen Bedard Coaching, and you can visit my website at kareenbedard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a like and share it with your friends. I'd be so grateful if you could help by giving us a five-star review on Podchaser or iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list to be kept up to date about upcoming episodes and exciting news. Just visit our website at breakingfreeauthentically.com and scroll down to subscribe. You can also email me anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Send your messages and questions to kareen at kareenbedard.com. Are you a part of my Facebook community yet? Join us in Breaking Free Authentically. It's where you will find this sex-positive relationship community. I'd be thrilled to have you be a part of this community with me. All the links will be in the show notes, so don't forget to check it out. Remember, when it comes to sex positivity, authenticity is the key. Have a great week.